Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Good morning. Good to be gathered this morning. Our study this morning, we'll be looking into the book of Genesis and creation. And I think this is a very important subject for us to be familiar with. And I think this is very important today. It, it felt like, and maybe I don't know what your thoughts are, but it, it appeared to me in the last 10 years that I know for certain there was this movement of atheism that had risen up. In fact, the leader of this movement, a man named Richard Dawkins, in the last 20 years has said that anybody who believes in God, you should mock them and speak down to them and speak to them condescendingly like they're being foolish and stupid and, and to make fun of them. That was his instruction regarding those who listen to him. And my experience is, is that is exactly what has happened. Atheism has become staunch and condescending. And yet I find this, it seems to have worn out. It's dying. It's this new form of condescension has gone away. And what do we do now? And we live in a world where atheism, especially in the United States, is growing. Secularism is. On the other hand, I'm hearing constant reports then that a lot of people are leaving liberal churches or they're starting to go back to churches that are following the Bible closer uh, than others. They're looking for churches that are Bible and New Testament based. And so there's positive and good things going on right now, and we want to go back to our Bible and see this morning why we believe in the creation the way that the Scriptures teach them. First question this morning is, must the Christian believe that God created the universe in six literal days? I believe God did create the universe in six literal days, between about 6,300 years ago and 7,500. If you want those numbers later and why I say that, I'll tell you. But when you go to the Hebrew Bible and you pick up your translation of the Bible right now in Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 10, you can count the years from the age of Adam and when he gave birth to his son Seth and on down that list, and you can fit it right into history. And it counts out according to the Bible I have right here, according to the Scriptures, 6,300 years ago. So is it true that the earth was created 6,300 years ago? And we're going to take a look at that. So some today have said, I don't have to believe this or that. And let's say, I believe in Christ, but I don't believe in the creation account. And I'm going to try my best this morning to give you a case of why we need to be defending what the Bible says. We have a lot of people today that would say that each day has a, is a gap period and might be millions of years. You have individuals that have recently believed, even some among the church, actually it's been like 100 years ago now, who used to believe there are millions of years before God uh, created and formed life on the earth. We want to see what the Bible has to say on this matter. What do the Scriptures say about the creation? I think, first of all, we want to start with Jesus Christ. 
someone today believing, saying, I believe in Jesus, but yet I believe in evolution and that life had evolved in this way. There's a problem there. First of all, at the very core of evolution, its definition is that things have randomly come together, randomly, and that life has developed randomly through different kinds, through different genera, and that these different forms had come. That does not sound like creation, but usually the believer will say, I think God had a hand in that. Well, that's not really evolution. You believe in something else, a development over millions of years. What does the Bible say? How, would Jesus literally interpret the book of Genesis? Jesus literally interpret the book of Genesis, and I believe he would. Look right here in Mark chapter 10. Here in the context, Jesus is talking about marriage, and to talk about marriage, he goes back to Genesis. Many times as Christians, we've got to do that. We've got to go back to the creation, the way God made things. This is where the case is made, that we are all created in God's image, and we have an equality and value before our God. And there's a lot of fundamental principles that go back to Genesis. A few weeks ago, we talked about purity and modesty. And I believe then we should be going back to Genesis and how God clothed Adam and Eve and learn from that. We can continue to do that. Listen, see what Jesus does right here. He says, but from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of creation, first of all, he calls it the beginning. He recognizes that it is creation. And he said, it's then that God made them male and female. And we know that he is quoting from Genesis. Quoting from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Jesus is saying, I believe the creation account. That is the beginning. That's when God created. That is the creation. And God made male and female. It's the basis of marriage. And it's the basis of identity today that God created two genders. And there it is. And then the scriptures say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here again, Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, the creation of man, why they were made man and woman and belong together in marriage. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Did Christ treat Genesis and the creation account as literal? I find that he does. This is not the only passage. You can go to Matthew chapter 19 as well. This is what we see. Jesus presented Adam and Eve and other places as real people. If you believe in evolution and you are questioning what the scriptures say, why would you believe in Adam and Eve? But Jesus confirms their existence. What about Noah and the flood? Does Jesus speak of them? Yes, you can go to Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus speaks of Noah as a real historical person. He believes in the account of Genesis, and he affirms it. He believes in the flood, that it was an actual event. He presents it as truth. Here, God in the flesh is again referring to us this fundamental truth. And then we go on. Jesus confirmed numerous other Old Testament events. Manna coming from heaven in the wilderness for Israel. Lot and his wife, again from the book of Genesis. Elijah and his miracles actually occurring. Jonah and being trapped in that sea creature. All of these as historical, real events. And there's no reason to say, well, I believe what Jesus said about Elijah and all of his miracles and that Jonah was swallowed by the sea creature for three days. I believe that, but I have a problem with the creation of Genesis. That doesn't make much sense, does it? So we want to take the Bible for what it says, take Christ for what he says here, and hold up the truth. I want to look a little bit further now. Who wrote Genesis? According to history and what we have passed down to it, Moses did. In fact, the Bible affirms that Moses did write Genesis. In fact, he wrote the Pentateuch. 
for the most part. In fact, many ancient Jews believe that Moses knew that he was going to die and wrote the very last chapter of Deuteronomy where it talks about his own death. I have no reservation about that. I have no reservation if Joshua did it or some other inspired man wrote on there at the, at the conclusion of the five first books of the Bible. But should we believe Moses? Well, let's, think, let's hear what Jesus says. Jesus says in John chapter 5, 46 and 47, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. And that's true. Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says there's a prophet coming who's greater than me who's going to give you other commands. He was prophesying of the Christ. He says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Writings. What did Moses write? And Jesus would tell you, as we see in the scriptures again, first five books of the Bible, he wrote them. They're his writings. If you won't believe his words, why would you believe Christ? What did Moses write? We see this here. Kind of another summary of why they would observe the Sabbath day. And in the context there, Moses writes this, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. The passage goes on and says, You are to keep the Sabbath day. That is, that Saturday, the seventh day. The emphasis on this is this. Did Moses mean a literal 24 hours, seven days? He must have. Because in the seventh day, he didn't mean that the seventh day was a million years. He wasn't saying that after six million years, then you should observe a million years as a Sabbath day and not do any work and have it as a holy convocation. No, that makes no sense. Moses, the way that he spoke here, is of literal days. And we should take it as that. God made the heaven and earth in six literal days, not millions of years. Some people have gone to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, where it says a thousand years is as a day, and a day is a thousand years. I might have gotten that in reverse. But anyways, the problem with that is, is that they will want to take that day and say it's thousands of years or millions of years, but then they don't take the other part of the verse that says a thousand years is a day. To who? To God before his sight. I remember one of my professors at Fried Hardeman talking about how God is eternal and how he can view the beginning from the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and he can see the beginning and he can see the end. And yet him being eternal, he can see it all at once. And he put his fingers like that and kind of, for a young college student, made my head explode. But anyways, he puts them together like that, and he says he can see it all at once, all together. And then my professor would then take that little thing and put it in his pocket. I don't know. But it looked fascinating when he did it, and he looked impressive doing it. But he made a good point there, and I I appreciate it, that God can see all of eternity. And that's what that passage is referring to, is that God knows time. He can see all things. He knows all things. Moses also, he wrote Genesis in a narrative form. There's no Hebraist in the world today who will tell you that Genesis chapter 1 is in poetry or that it's figurative. It's not. It's in a narrative form. There's no meter in it that you would usually find in Hebrew poetry. You go to Psalms, and if you have one of these new Bibles, they'll break down the meter for you, and you can, you can see it with your own eyes. If you go to Isaiah, you can see it as well. So I have Psalms open, and you can see the way that it develops, that trying to reflect as best as possible the Hebrew language and how it follows a meter. You won't find in the book of Genesis, it's a narrative. It's written, this is fact, this is truth. This is how it happened, six days. I think another affirmation we have of those days is right here in Genesis 1. Take a look at this 
14 through 19. Now, on day one, as David had read for us, there was light and darkness. These made up what consisted of a day. They existed. As some people might question today, was it actually 24 hours or how could 24 hours exist? You know, the scriptures don't really explain that, but I have no reason to doubt it. That when God created the heavens and the earth, that he created time and gravity and all things that were necessary. And when the Bible says a day, I take it as a day. And it says this here in verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So here he's creating those heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light unto the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater, greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. A lot of things that stand out to me here. You have an emphasis on the day and the night, of the days that consisted there, how they already existed, but God was now making lights for them. And so I get the impression again from the scriptures that clearly indicate here a literal days, night and day consisting of the fourth day. If you have your Bible, let's take a look again in Genesis chapter 1. And let's open up to Genesis chapter 1. And here's some clear indications, things that stand out to me from this text. Things that I think that as Christians we need to be emphasizing. There's so much in Genesis that is fundamental to our faith, that shapes our values. Number one, that God created everything in the universe. It wasn't that, as some people believe, pantheists believe that the universe is essentially eternal and that God is the universe and God essentially formed and reforms it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing before then. God created all things. God created by his words. And I love that because this has implications throughout the scriptures. When God created, he spoke and it came into existence. Every day he spoke and it came into existence. His words are what created. And we're going to talk more about that. That's the power of God's word. You go to John 1, 1, and John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's by and through the word that all things were created. Think about the implications of that. And throughout Genesis chapter 1, you continue to see God spoke and it came into existence. That's the power of God's word and the power of what we're reading today and the record of the creation that we need to take seriously. God created humanity in his image. We're created like none other. None other are able to reason and think like us. Jude emphasizes that, how God has created humanity, and we're not like the beast. They don't have language. They do not think the way that we do. They simply operate on instinct. God made us in a very specific way, and that gives us great value, that we need to value human life, those who are around us, those who are in the womb. And we see this, that God created the universe by his free will. And there's been some discussion on that. Did God have to create the universe? Do you have to create humanity? Do you have to create all of these things? A part of God and who he is is that throughout the text, you continue to read that God created, it spoke, and it came into being, and he said, it is good. God created by free will because it is good. That's why he created the universe. That's why he created the heavens and the earth. 
That's why he placed us on this planet and has given us the blessings that we have. He has created, and we need to believe it. We see the power of God's Word. You say that you believe in God, and the Bible says if you have faith, you need to believe in this as God as the Creator. And some people go throughout the Bible and say, I don't believe this. I don't, I'll take this as figurative. I think this is cultural. And they remove things. We want to stop with that. It'd be better for us to understand what the Scriptures say. Hebrews 11 and verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. God created the universe by the Word so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. God created by his power, and he brought it into existence. How essential is faith that, that God created the universe by his word? It says right here. In fact, the scriptures say, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, just a few verses down, you cannot please God unless you have faith and you believe in the promises and you believe in his word. And so to plan to be a Christian today and to say, well, I don't believe this part of the Bible and I don't believe in that part of the Bible, you have a problem. It is by the word of God, this is the word of God written for us, and then by that word, he also brought in all things into creation. I think it's a right statement to say that we have two types of revelation. We have special revelation through Jesus Christ, through the apostles and prophets, as God spoke by the Holy Spirit to them. We also have general revelation, where we can look around at creation and see the order, and we can know some fundamental truths that God created the universe. He created the world, and he did so by the power of his word. We know the days of creation we should see them and understand them. And there's no reason for us to, to doubt the six days of creation. It actually makes more sense than to evolve and drag things along for what they're saying, 4.5 billion years to form the earth and everything is on it. And this is what makes sense, to have a world that is created and operating instantly. In fact, when you start thinking about what atheists and what evolutionists propose, it becomes absurd. Through some of my studies, I read of a a Greek historian in the first century B.C., before Jesus. His name was Diodorus Siculus. And he started talking about the myths of creation and what the Greeks believe, what the Romans believe, what the Babylonians believe, and how the Babylonians invented their gods and how they started and all these things they come up with. And then he came up with this. This is what was standing out to me. He said the Egyptians believed, some of them believed, that the mud in the Nile had pustules. And from those little pustules, because of the sun, and that goo, that little forms of life came from them. And those forms of life grew into greater forms of life. And those greater forms of life continued to grow so that everything you find in creation, and then even man came from it. And he said that these men went around hunting and gathering and discovered fire and created language through grunting. Does that sound familiar? So that's over 2,000 years ago. This guy wrote this down. He said, this is what the Egyptians believed, and it's part of their most ancient beliefs. It was a myth. An ancient myth. And yet today, it seems as though somebody went back and read that and said, yeah, we should try to trick people today that that's real science. Try to confuse them again. And I don't believe it's true at all. I believe the days of creation, as we look at right here, God created the heavens and the earth, and light and darkness in the first day. The expanse and the heavens, the division between the waters of the earth on the second day, that God created vegetation and the trees of every kind and according to their kind on the third day, that God created the lights and the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, and all things, 
on the fourth day, and that God created sea creatures and winged animals, each according to their kind, on the fifth day. And on the sixth day, that God created livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to their kind, and that he created man in his image. I've heard people try to draw that out and say, well, what if God created vegetation and then millions of years later, he started creating the animals? You know anything about the earth, you know that this world is symbiotic, that the vegetation cannot exist without animal life and animal life without vegetation. We need the oxygen, need the carbon dioxide, but we see how it works here in creation. It just makes sense. I think one simple answer to this when someone says, why do so many people say the earth is so old? I want you to notice this. You go back to the Genesis account and God created a mature creation, a mature creation. You know that when he made Adam and Eve, Adam was full grown. A day old, he looked 20 years old. He made it mature. He made it fully developed. You go back and you read at the trees. The trees were already formed. They grew up right there on that day. All the vegetation had sprouted. God spoke it and it sprouted from the earth. It was mature. It developed and increased greatly and quickly. God created a mature creation. And so if someone were to say, well, why does it look so old? Well, part of it's going to be because of that, because God created a mature world. And someone might say, well, what about the rocks? Well, you start thinking about it. What they're proposing is, is that God created a, a molten ball of metal that was emanating radiation. This is what, you know, an atheist or someone or a skeptic or a critic of the Bible or someone who's trying to apply evolution to the Bible, they're going to say God made it. Uh, otherwise, they're going to say that existed. And that you know, God's not going to take that radiation ball and then try to put life on it. It's not going to exist, not going to work. So he makes it the way that it is, the rocks and the way that they are. And that really kind of messes with the dating process. When some people say, well, we date the rocks and it looks like they're 4.5 billion years old. Well, if God created it mature, that's not going to be a good measurement. It's not even a dating measurement anymore. It's not reliable. It's the way that God has created these things. No dating method can undermine the creation. And we should not be listening to those who are telling us millions of years old when the Bible says 6,300 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. I think we just need some good sense, a lot of good sense. First thing of good sense is that Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says we should be able to look at creation and see that a creator exists. And it is good sense. When you look around at the world around us and it's more complex than designed than it is most probably designed, biology is far more superior and more advanced than human design. The human hand is far more developed than the prosthetic hand and what humans can create. That complexity shows us that it is designed and designed by a more intelligent being, a creator. I think another thing we realize is that all things have come into existence. Everything had a beginning. Even the atheists and the skeptics, and they notice this and they stumble over it when they admit that the universe had a beginning. Well, there's a problem with that. If the universe had a beginning, it must have a cause. If it had a cause, it must have a greater cause, a more transcendent cause, something that set it into order. It's just good sense for us to conclude that God, a creator, formed this world. Psalm 19 and verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here's the truth. Psalm 33, 6 through 9, it says this, the psalmist writes, By the word of God, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth, all things, all their host, 
He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. And it's still true. God's word is actively holding this world together. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, we see in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. This is Christ. Christ is the word. It says, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through Christ. And I love Hebrews 1 and verse 3. It says, He, that's Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All things in creation were made through Christ and for Christ and for his purpose of him coming. And for humanity, Colossians 1 and verse 17 teaches us that. And Hebrews 1 and verse 3 says that Christ, by his own power, upholds the universe and keeps it in in order. Don't be deceived. The Bible warns us about deception. The truth is is that science is observable. No one has ever observed life coming from non-life. All the experiments that have been done never happen. No one's ever observed one genus of an animal develop and adapt into another. Never been observed. Never will be. Can't happen. There's no truth behind it. There's three primary dating methods for the old earth, and they're all assumption-based. The radiometric dating assumes what the original elements were in the rocks. Can't make that assumption when God created. They look at geologic strata and try to explain it in so many different ways. None of it really makes sense except for this, that if there was a worldwide flood, You would have layers of rock laid down by water all over the earth and billions of dead things buried in it. That's exactly what we find. And the other one, they say, is an assumption about the speed of light and light years of starlight. They say we see these stars that go back 13 billion years. In fact, some of them, uh, some are saying now that goes back 20 billion years. They're always going to be increasing it the more that technology advances. The truth of the matter is when God created, he can increase that light, and it's most likely that it was not set and standard there at creation when God created all things in starlight. And so they might say, how did it get here from 13 billion years ago to earth? Well, God created it. He made it. He made the light. And they make much assumptions behind it. In fact, the speed of light as a constant is an assumption in itself. And then we come to this. Before we finish this morning, some people treat science like it answers everything. And it doesn't. Science can't tell you what is right and wrong, what is the moral standard of truth. It can't give you pure and undefiled motives. It can't produce honesty in all people. It doesn't fundamentally speak to the soul and the spirit of every individual. Science can help corroborate history, but it can't record it. It can't actually tell you exactly what happened. And undermining science is logic and mathematics. Science can't prove it. It kind of helps to demonstrate that it works. But it's fundamental to it. It came before it. Logic cannot exist without a mind, and there's no point in where the laws of logic have not existed. And so we see that the eternity of logic and reason imply that there has always been a mind and a creator in this world. God has set it up that way. What we need is just good sense and sound reasoning. When I was looking at master's degrees, one of them I came across was cosmology. So you can get a science degree in cosmology, but you can also get a degree in the philosophy of cosmology. And that is how things actually work together. What's the fundamental reasoning and logic behind it? Because undermining all 
Oh, science is logic, just good reasoning, good sense. And if it doesn't make sense, you should question it. And if it's contrary to God's word, you know it's wrong. And so even at that fundamental level, don't believe people as they say, oh, it's just outside of you. You can't understand it. And I thought about putting this question at the very beginning, but I find it kind of humorous and yet true. If the human brain evolved for survival, would the brain accept lies for survival? So if you believe in evolution, you believe we evolved from apes, and you believe we evolved for survival, what would keep in that evolution people from accepting lies for survival? In fact, it's most probable that you would be someone who would believe lies. See, as a Christian, when I believe in God, I believe in the God who has given me all truth, that he says, I can know the truth. And as Christ says, I can know the truth and it can set me free. I have no doubt that I can know the truth and I can trust my own mind and the way that God has created me and made me in his own image. But if you believe in evolution, I'd have much more doubts about what I could really believe or if I can really even believe what is true. Because fundamentally, it is not sound reasoning. This morning, I encourage you to test all things. Hold firm to God's word and don't let it go. I like 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21. And the King James, instead of saying knowledge here, it says science. And I think it fits. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. What is falsely called, as the King James says, science. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. It's so true. People will come around and say, well, you don't know this. This is knowledge. This is truth. Follow God's word. Turn to him. This morning, if you believe that God created all things, that he sent Jesus Christ to die, to be buried, and rose again for your salvation, you believe that, and you're willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead, you should become a Christian. You should put to death sin and be buried in the waters of baptism and start a new life now following and dedicated to God, the creator. You should become a new creation. Jesus said this, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. This morning, you need to obey the gospel. If you're going through hard times and you need prayers, I encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.